You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Who had an inclination to do just that, pointing the finger at those people, at those people. And those people, that is anyone who we judge for not being as righteous as we are. But Paul points out that they were ignoring the fact, the very fact that they were judging others is what they will be judged on. And in this chapter, Paul is trying to rescue them from this judgment and comparison, comparing, comparing themselves to others. And so let's put it in just, you know, practical, how can I apply this to my life? It's the same thing. It's the same instruction that is given to us, that we're not to judge or compare ourselves to others. And it's an age-old problem. I'm here to testify today that you will be given every opportunity to witness this to be a true fact. You will have a test, if you haven't had one already, that you're going to have to stop and say, am I judging, am I comparing myself to someone else? Perhaps it happened this morning. You encountered a person or people or a situation Traffic, whatever it is. I mean, we have traffic. Um, we have a, a lot of construction in Canby. There you go. You could be grumbling about that and judging why are they doing that. But it will rub you wrong. Something will rub you wrong, and you are quick to judge, quick to point out all the reasons they were in the wrong and you were, are in the right. And it happened to me. So I'm raising my hand. It happens all the time to where we get to confront what Paul is saying here. If we don't get Romans chapter 2, we really don't understand God because this is what he's trying to really get a hold of our hearts with. Like I said, he didn't come just for the unrighteous. He came for the self-righteous to instruct us, to bring us to a point of understanding what it looks like to be a follower of his. The good news is he will relentlessly give us opportunities if we pay attention and remember, and remember his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, his tolerance, his patience with us. He doesn't play. God doesn't play. He doesn't show favoritism. So if we get Romans chapter 2, the church will operate as the church ought to. Last week I said the church, if we, if we get Romans chapter 2, the church becomes a safe place for everyone. The church is the representation of Jesus. And that is a huge responsibility. And we shouldn't take that lightly. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, so we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So God is making his appeal through us. So let's look at Romans, the rest of Romans. We're going to start in verse 17, and it says this. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. 
you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? So you think you're a guide for the blind. You think you are the expert in instructing the ignorant. You teach children the ways of God because you're so good at that. We're so good at that. I was thinking of an example, and this is something that I think we can all relate to. Maybe there's something else that you can think of when uh, in this example of being that authoritative, you know, knowing it all. It's kind of like this. Before we had children and before we became parents, or maybe you, you are in that place right now, we were experts at children's behavior, childhood behavior, especially before we have children. And as before we become parents, I mean, come on, we know how they should behave. We know what parents should do. We have thought or said, I can't believe they're letting their, their kid act like that. I cannot believe that. We've been at the store. We've been at the mall. We've been at the playground, whatever it is. We have thought that because we are experts. If you were a parent, uh, or we have also thought, if I was the parent of that kid, I would take them aside and I would do X, Y, and Z because I know what you should do. My kids will never, they will never do that. And, and besides that, they'll never be on screens. No, no, never on screens because I, I'm going to run myself ragged and make sure they're busy all the time. But <laughs> I've heard it, I've said it, I've thought those things. We are absolute experts. And, and so relate this to that. But I have to tell you, parenting was so much easier when I raised my non-existent children hypothetically. <laughs> I, it really was, it was so much easier. And then they come and they're not that easy. And they do these things, and I'm just broken, you know. And uh, so the sad part, though, of judgmental deja vu, because we often forget, it keeps people from knowing Christ. It really does. Do I think I'm better than others? Have I forgotten that I'm a sinner saved by grace, his mercy, his kindness? Do I pause and do I examine my own heart before I comment? on someone else's heart? Do I just step back and say, wow, you know what? If I'm going to be honest, that's me too. So the next portion of scripture says this in Romans 21, 221. You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You commit, you condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Whew, that last part that Paul says, no wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles. And again, I'm going to say that unless you're, well, Jew or Gentile in this room, we all fall short of the glory of God. That's why he came. But it's, do we blaspheme the name of God? 
Um, you know what? No one rejects Jesus because we're sinners. They reject Jesus because we, as Christian folks, are sinners and pretend we're not. Really, I mean, honestly, think about it. They're not rejecting us because we're sinners. They're, they're rejecting Christ because we sometimes come off so proud and we pretend that we don't sin. We don't admit how flawed we are and that we desperately need the grace of God. And we cannot go a single day without the Spirit of God filling us up. We have no righteousness in us that isn't given to us. That isn't given to us. That we, and it's been given to us and we haven't earned it or, and we don't deserve it. And we need to remember that when we're honest with our brokenness. Most are fine with it. Actually, most are free. And they're given hope with our vulnerability. When we're arrogant about our righteousness, you know, the gig is up. The gig is up. Religious pride creates this hard heart. And I talked about this last week a little bit. And um, a hard heart will blame, it will judge and I likened it to cholesterol of our spiritual life because it clogs our heart from having empathy, from having charity, from having compassion. And it makes us arrogant and really mean people at times. You can learn with your heart or with your elbow. I mentioned that last week. The heart says, before I apply this to anyone else, God, I give you permission. Take this truth. Take this righteous act and apply it to my innermost being. Let me see where you want to correct me. And pray, Holy Spirit, you have access to my heart. You have access to correct me to, and also to soften me. Whatever it is, but Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Would I be open to hearing you? And this is how you learn with your heart. And the elbow says, are you getting this? <laughs> are you listening? Hey, you know what? I have a great podcast. And when I was listening to it, I was thinking of you. And so I really think you should listen to it because it's really, really good. And it will address some of the things that I was thinking about you. So... <laughs> We can either learn with our heart or we can learn with our elbow. And here's the thing, getting more information just for having more information can be toxic. Have you ever met a mean theologian? I have. You can study the original language, the life of Jesus, who is the most compassionate, sacrificial person to walk the earth. And you can end up mean and decisive if you divorce that information from personal application. But the opposite is true. You can take that little bit of truth that you're hearing and apply it to your heart and receive it, and it will set you free. You learn with your heart or with your elbow a hard heart leads to a hypocritical life. A hard heart will lead to, a, to hypocrisy every time, and here's the reason. The reason is fatigue. 
fatigue if you're doing Christianity under your own willpower, your own source of power. You're just plowing through, and you're trying to make it happen, and you're the one empowering the righteous acts. You will never make it. I hit the wall, and I shared our testimony last week, our story, and if you want to hear it, it's on YouTube. But my part of the story was I was an angry control freak. Others were not doing their part. So I had to take up the load because, you know, I, no one else is doing it. Take care of it, and I'm going to make it work. I'm going to, you know, I, I can do it. And at home, I was sharp, and I was bossy, and I wasn't that wonderful person you'd want to live with. And then I came to church, and I put on a smiling face, and I just talked about Jesus, and it was all great. But I was an angry control freak because hypocrisy leads to fatigue, and what it does, you get more and more tired, more and more burnout, more and more angry, and you feel like a loser because your self-sufficient power isn't enough. I hit the wall, and it was a good stopping point. And I'm guilty as charged of doing that. When I slip into those control modes and I, and I, and I start feeling like I have to control things around me, I stop now. I've learned to stop, and I ask myself this question. What am I afraid of? Because you do not try to control everything if you're not afraid of something. So I, I've learned it's not like it dis, doesn't happen, but I've learned now what to stop and ask myself. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is his power, his power, Jesus's power, the Holy Spirit's power. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So I want to finish up with Romans um, 2, starting in 25 and finishing in 29. The Jewish ceremony, well, first of all, I want to just say this. All right. First of all, Paul uses the word law 78 times in the book of Romans. In these four verses, Paul uses circumcision six times. So we're going to be hearing that. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit, and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. All right, so circumcision. First of all, it was the right of initiation for the Jewish people. It was the right of belonging. It was important. It said, I am part of this group, 
and it is very, very important. It gave them their identification, national pride. It helped them stick together when it was very hard. There were hard times, and they were in, in exile. The other thing that circumcision did, it was not only a membership thing, it was a favor thing. I am in this group, and we are God's favorite. And Paul, who is a genius, takes this very important right, something they took so much pride in, the thing that set them apart, and he flips it on, the head, on its head. He says, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. Ouch. That was harsh. Even the most righteous thing that God assigned, done in the wrong way, can be evil if it's done in religious piety. You're not better than others. I want to talk about Paul a little bit because to understand his boldness, to understand his forthrightness when he writes to these Roman Christians. He says, it, well, Paul encountered Christ. Um, and when he encountered Christ, he was the worst of the worst. He saw himself as the, this religious elite. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was better than most Pharisees. That's, that's quite a, an accomplishment because the hallmark of a Pharisee is they're sanctimonious, they're self-righteous, and they're hypocritical. And he admits he was all of those things. So in this passage in Romans, Paul doesn't hold back. He's writing this letter to the Roman Jewish believers, and he doesn't hold back because God didn't hold back on him. So whenever you think God is harsh, he's not holding back. He's wanting to set you free. Jesus interrupts Paul on his way to Damascus, the road to Damascus. Paul is on a mission. He's on this road. He's going to kill the Christians in Damascus. That's found in Acts chapter 9. So he encounters, Jesus interrupts Paul at this point. He literally blinds him. This proud, elite man who's very religious is now have to, having to be led around by his hand for three days. All of his personal needs he had to have help with. That's how God interrupted Paul. He didn't hold back. And then God interrupts Ananias, who is in Damascus. He's a believer in Damascus, and, he t and, and the, the Lord tells Ananias, Ananias, I want you to go to Paul because Paul is encountering me right now, and you need to talk to him. So Ananias is like, huh. oh, but, you know, Paul, he, he's a dangerous man. He's terrible. He's been trying to kill us. But Ananias is interrupted, and he obeys. And he goes, and he sees Paul, and Paul has this remarkable conversion. And this is the result of that. Now he's writing this letter, and he totally gets it. He is not what appears to be hitting below the belt. On Paul's part, he's, when he speaks of the sacred rite of passage and circumcision, 
he remembers God did not have kid gloves on when he confronted him on the road of Damascus for the very same issues of the self-righteous pride. Paul says circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. It comes down to this principle. You have the law, but do you keep it? You can see how others break the law. Do you see how you break the law? All of us, no one in here is perfect. We're all in process. And to realize that and to be able to even rest in that. Circumcision and baptism do about the same thing that a label on a can does. If the outer label doesn't match what's on the inside, something is wrong. So who observes all the law? No one. No one can keep the law all the time. But the solution, he gives us a solution. It's the Holy Spirit. It's picking another fuel. God never works from the outward in. He works from the inward out. And I'm going to, you know, I'm here to say, if your outward is still needing some work, congratulations, because we're all human beings. Circumcision is merely outward and physical. And Paul says true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's the change of heart produced by the Spirit. So we conclude Romans chapter 2 with this, this teaching on circumcision of the heart. And what does that look like? I mean, it's the cutting of the heart. And I have three applications here. The first one, being circumcised, your heart being circumcised, am I teachable? Do I tend to just cling to the right answers? Do I listen to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit that says, you have more to learn? We all have more to learn. Until Jesus comes back, until <laughs> we're in his presence, we have a lot to learn. Are we listening with our heart or are we listening with our elbow? The other thing, the other application for a circumcised heart in, is an evidence. Have I let religion harden my heart? That's a question. Am I, is my heart heartened? Heart, is my heart heart? Is my heart heart? <laughs> that's, that's not right. Is my, do I have a hard heart? There we go. Do I have, do I want the right answer to everything? Again, asking that question, do we cling to the right answers? But do I want the right answers or a right relationship? We have people in our life that we have to step back and say, okay, I know, I know what God wants. I'm, I'm in that process of doing what God is asking me to do, growing in relationship with Jesus. But you might be sacrificing a relationship because you have to always have the right answer. And that right re in that relationship, if we put aside what those right answers are and just enter into relationship, listen, come alongside, love, that is going to make the difference. 
It's not always having the right answer. Have I let the cultural conflict cause me to get more in the category of the right answer instead of the right relationship? We are in a culture where there's all kinds of upside down thoughts and theologies and all of those kinds of things. But in, is relationship going to matter? Yes, it will matter. They'll see Jesus in me. Those who understand grace give grace. The only way to prove that you understand the unwavered, unmerited, incredible grace of God, the only way you understand it is if you give grace. Give grace to those who aren't where you think they should be or doing things that you don't think they should do. Give them grace. Love them where they are. Come alongside and listen to them. In many of our relationships, we just need to stop and step back and say, do I want to be a debate winner or the grace facilitator? The third application, does my life evidence the Spirit of God? The evidence of the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience. It's the fruit of the Spirit. I was recently in our Bible study on Wednesday night. I was asked, um, why do you say, because I often say that, and I pray this way all the time, why do you say, be filled with the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, come. I thought, she, this person said, I thought we were saved when we accept, I thought we were filled with the Holy Spirit when we accept Christ, that we have the Holy Spirit in us when that happens. The answer is, we do. We have, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to us when we accept Christ. But the question is, do we allow the Holy Spirit access into every part of who we are? We can go through life as a believer, not fully understanding that we have the Holy Spirit to help us walk in powerful ways with Jesus, with boldness, with wisdom, with compassion, with understanding, with gentleness, inviting the Holy Spirit every day, every morning, say, Holy Spirit, would you help me? I need, my heart needs to be circumcised today. And Holy Spirit, I know that I can't do it without you. Ask for that continuous leading, filling, and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Another evidence of that Spirit's work in us is, are we interruptible? Am I on my own agenda or the Holy Spirit's agenda? And so through the day, when the Holy Spirit just whispers to you and, and says, you need to call. You, you need to make that call. Or you need to text that person. Or just stop right now and would you just take a minute and listen? Slow down. Just listen. Listen right now. Are we interruptible? Another evidence of the Spirit working in us is are we ever convicted? Condemnation is when we are on a guilt trip, but conviction is when the Holy Spirit edits and corrects us. That happens to me all the time. The Holy Spirit is really good at editing and correcting us. 
At the end of the day, the Holy Spirit has said to me, you didn't respond well here. You need to make it right. You interrupted that person. You blew them off. Go back and make that right. The evidence of a circumcised heart filled with the Holy Spirit is, are we convicted? Do we hear the Holy Spirit when he wants to correct and edit us? And lastly, and there's probably more, but are you ever uncomfortable? I have looked through scripture. There's nothing in scripture that says we should live a comfortable life. It's what is there is I will comfort you. I will comfort you when you walk through these, these hard times, when you walk through the desert, when you walk through the fire. I will, the Holy Spirit is there and he'll comfort you, but you're not to live a comfortable life. The Holy Spirit will challenge me to believe more, to risk more. Right now I'm asking the Holy Spirit, my personal, my personal prayer is to establish an unwavering faith like Abraham. So that when something comes up, and there's many things right now, there's a list of things that I need to have that unwavering faith, that I'm not stepping into what the Holy Spirit is doing and trying to fix it or trying to solve my own problems or, or just even overthinking it. Do I have the unwavering faith? Like Abraham, that he had this and he was called righteous and a friend of God. Are we uncomfortable? I can't have that unwavering faith without the Holy Spirit working in me. The power of the Holy Spirit to believe, to keep on keeping on. Paul concludes with a true Jew. I'm going to read that last paragraph of the last verse in chapter 2. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. True circumcision, not the outward cut, but the inward cut of the heart. Are we right with God? Are we willing to have our heart cut, circumcised, open to hearing what Jesus is doing in our life? To be that person who is, who is more interested in loving than correcting. More interested in coming alongside instead of feeling like we have all the answers and they need to do all the things that we think they should do. Do we trust the Holy Spirit in other people's lives? That unwavering faith. There's people right now you're praying for. I know you are. I am. Believing God for certain things in, in their life. Do I, do I trust God to do his work in that? I want to just conclude this morning and... and and if you'll stand, I want to read this last verse by Paul. It's found in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. And it says this. 
For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Amen. All right, let me pray. And there'll be prayer teams here. So if you have uh, any need, please come forward and, and have prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that the Apostle Paul just wrote this letter and it's still true and alive and, and your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It really does, does cut the heart. So Father, thank you. Thank you that you are relentlessly after us because you love us so much and you love the church so much. So thank you, Father God. We give this time to you, and Holy Spirit, would you just continue to remind us of what our life as a representation of you looks like. So thank you, Father, in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.